Hello, I'm Rebecca Haas, Director of Community Engagement for Pacific Opera Victoria. Welcome to the Listening Party Podcast for January 8th, 2021. Happy New Year to us all! I'm excited to start the new year by talking to cast members of an incredibly exciting project that Pacific Opera's been working on since the fall. But before I get to that, if you're new to the podcast, let me tell you a little bit about it. The Listening Party podcast is a time when we get together with artists from the opera field and we share stories and music. After you listen to the interviews on today's podcast, you can learn more about these artists and the music they love with a curated Spotify playlist that goes with this show. Each artist has chosen songs this week that reveal a little bit more about them. They're going to share the music that brightens their spirits. I've asked them to share a song that they love to sing, also a song that is a guilty pleasure, a favorite live musical experience, and a piece that captures the magic of the show that they were all part of filming in November, The Garden of Alice. The Garden of Alice is an opera by Canadian composer Elizabeth Raum and is based on the Lewis Carroll book about Alice in Wonderland. You can find their stories about their musical selections and the link to the Spotify playlist on our website. And of course, all this is on demand, so listen at your leisure. Now, let's talk about the project Alice in the Garden. If you're an opera company in a pandemic, how do you make art? Opera is an art form that depends on many people to execute it. There are the singers, the directors, designers, for costumes, sets, lighting. Many of these people join us from outside of British Columbia and outside of Canada. And what about those of us who want to see the opera? Well, that takes place in a theatre that holds over a thousand people. And as of December here in British Columbia, we couldn't even gather 50 in one place indoors. The orchestra, the chorus, the stagehands, the crew, the shop that builds all the elements of what you see on stage. Opera is an art form built on the craft and skill of hundreds of people. So that question remains. What do you do if you're an opera company in a pandemic? You want to see opera, and the opera company wants to produce it. And the pandemic has really challenged us to find new ways to do that. Today on the podcast, I'm going to speak to four cast members of The Garden of Alice. This opera was conceived entirely as a film project. A cast of Canadian performers, under COVID protocols as used in the film industry here in BC, they flew in, quarantined, lived in a bubble, sort of like an NHL hockey team, rehearsed, recorded, and flew out, everyone with a clean bill of health, this past fall. The show was directed by Glynis Lation and conducted by Timothy Vernon with musicians from the Victoria Symphony. This unique project is in post-production and will be shared with all of you in the near future. So consider this your sneak preview, if you will. A bit of a glimpse into the world of opera singers navigating in film. You'll hear revelations from our cast of singers. This was a totally new experience for everyone. These are professionals used to performing opera on stage with a live audience. Traditionally, this means they would fly into town, rehearse for two to three weeks, spend about one week in the theater where they work on the set and they finish up setting up lights and costumes and working with orchestra, and then engage in a run of that show. And across Canada, that will be anywhere from three to ten performances. That's pretty standard. 
And normally in the run, they would sing every other day for about four to four and a half weeks total in a contract and then fly home. This is not what filming an opera requires. Today, I'm going to let these artists share with you what it was like to make a movie for the first time. What was the best part of it? What challenged them and took them out of their comfort zone? And what was it like to be with so many other people and make a show during a pandemic? To learn about this and more, let's meet four members of the cast of The Garden of Alice. Hi, Rebecca. My name is Asa Tachanakun. I played the Knave of Hearts and the role of the janitor in The Garden of Alice with Pacific Opera Victoria, and I am a tenor. Okay, my name is Justin Welsh. I played uh, in this production the White Rabbit and also the Doctor in this production, and I'm a baritone. Hi there, my name is Peter Monahan. Uh, I am a bass baritone of Lethbridge, Alberta. Um, uh, in the Garden of Alice, I played the Caterpillar and I played the Cheshire Cat, as well as card number five. Hello, my name is Sarah Shavis, and I am a soprano from Toronto, Canada. And in Alice in the Garden, I played the Dormouse, a lady-in-waiting, and the young nurse. I reached Sarah at her cottage in Collingwood, where she was still quarantining after leaving Victoria, just about a week after filming. I started out by asking her how she felt about the experience looking back. Yeah, I mean, even right after it happened, I think I was in the car with Megan and Tracy, and we were like, well, that was fun. But then we were like, I don't know if we're ready to say it was fun, because it was such a learning curve and kind of stressful in the moment. But I think, in retrospect, we knew how fun it was. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a very different, very interesting experience. I wondered if any of the artists had hesitations at even the thought of flying to another province to embark on an opera rehearsal. Here's Asitha's take. Firstly, it was somewhat of an uncertain step, just getting there, um, not knowing exactly what we were stepping into because we knew it was going to be a filming of an opera, but done as a movie. Uh, so there were lots of concerns on, in my mind, but I think the, the thing that always comforted me was the fact that there was always open communication with the artistic team, with the administration, and uh, knowing that the people, a lot of the people I had met already in, uh, during prior engagements who were doing this contract are wonderful people that um, I would have, you know, I couldn't have chosen a lot more better people to be bubbled with for six weeks. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the bubble because um, Pacific Opera really took a film approach because the film industry has been continuing onward. And so what did the bubble mean for the cast? What was that? I think we were grateful for the fact that we weren't there, you know, we're away from home during a pandemic and the fact that we didn't still have to be on our own outside of rehearsal hours, but that we could still, after a rehearsal, get together in someone's uh, hotel room because we were still bubbled and chat and, and socialize was such, at the beginning, it was such a weird experience because, I mean, I live on my own here in Toronto. So all of a sudden to be able to, to spend time with people but also mindfully. I mean, we, you know, we were very careful 
Um, I think the fact that we went through six weeks, not just the cast, but the entire uh, team, the production team, the film crew, all of that, uh, that we got through six weeks with no interruption, uh, I think is a, is a testament to all of the organizing that was done, but also to the self-discipline that um, all of us had with us. So the singers are bubbled, following the protocols established for the film industry here in BC, and the work begins. I asked each of the artists, what was most challenging about the film process? Here's Peter, then Sarah, and then Justin with their thoughts on this. How do you feel about filmmaking and opera? Was that something that you would love to do again? Or did you just say, what on earth did I get myself involved in? What was that like as an experience? It was, uh, it went from that stage of what have I got myself into, into I'm pretty sure I would do that again, you know, from start to finish. But it was, it was a completely different process. I, I, I equate it to one situation. It's like when you're doing an opera, you, you hear like, say you're starting a scene. The conductor's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna count you in. Or they'll obviously count you in. And it'll be a nice, easy three, four, you know, and you'll go. Whereas this was the cameraman all around you with different cameras in different angles, whatnot, going straight to your face. And they'd be, and it would be, okay, okay, all right, we're uh, 10 seconds, 10 seconds away. Okay, we're almost there, we're almost there. Okay, we're ready, we're ready, and go. And you'd be like, ah, okay, all right, I'm in it. And, and you know, the sound would be pressed right in that moment. And you'd be, oh my gosh, all right. So it was a completely different uh, actual dynamic to how, how it came to play, but it was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so much of the spontaneity is taken away when you're filming because you have to plan everything so minutely. And even though there's no audience, I was thinking about this. So as performers, we're so used to feeding off of an audience's energy. But still, when I was doing my scene, I'm like, there are at least 20 people in this room. <laughs> like, there's still a lot of people, but it's a different energy because they're busy capturing your performance. So it's a a different kind of pressure and excitement and you have to be so attentive to continuity that's another big challenge it's like okay we're repeating this that means I have the cookies in my pocket which were placed in this earlier scene which we haven't actually done yet like because you know the super fans will be out there taking notes I think what it is is that we're so used to spontaneity I think that was the one thing that for me uh I wasn't used to um, had to be uh, very specific, especially with certain shots, certain de details. We had to refrain a little bit be with the, that idea of spontaneity because uh, we were dealing with different camera angles and different shots and different things like that. So that was the one major thing that was a little bit daunting, I think, for everybody. And, and I think also, too, there was a lot more patience that needed to happen because this was a little bit, shall we say, experimental. It's the first time that POV was doing something like this. And, um, and I think... I think we all handle it quite well, to be honest. When I asked the artist what was the most rewarding part of filming, there was agreement. It has to do with acting. People often make fun of opera acting. They say it's not very subtle. And that's partly because, in fairness, an opera singer has people in the front row, who are quite close, but they also have to think about the people in the very back row of the theatre. They need to hear the story too. That means there are certain stylized techniques that singers are taught. Being heard and understood through voice in gesture 
in a 2,000-seat hall is very different from being inches away from a camera for a close-up. Here's Sarah and Asitha. I mean, I'm a big fan of finding subtlety in acting, which is something like I've often been challenged on when I'm doing a big opera is that, you know, you need to make everything bigger so that it will read and exaggerated. But here, I remember I had one scene where I was playing the young nurse with Tracy as my patient. And I said to Glynis, like, all I'm doing is listening. Like, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not really doing anything at all. And she said, you know, that's what a good nurse would do. And like, that's enough for the camera. So just like being able to actually feel like you're being a real person. I know that it, at least in the Mad Hatter's Tea Party scene where I play the, the mouse and a colleague of mine played the hare. We were trying to find all the specific animal movements, like how, how an animal will wiggle their nose or sniff a little differently. So I'm hoping all of that will come through in a way that it wouldn't in a big house. It's always the unspoken instincts that um, call my attention during a process like this. Just the instinct to always have to face forward. When in a film setting, we didn't have to do that. Uh, and I would notice that with my own work, when I'm watching other, um, my colleagues working as well, all of a sudden, you know, facing a character who's upstage and suddenly turning downstage to deliver the line when we didn't really have to. I think that was one thing. Um, the fact that we didn't have wings was, uh, it was initially weird, but I think as the, as the, uh, the two to three days of filming went on, I got used to it. Um, and I think Try, for me personally, it was trying to find the nuances that don't get picked up on in a stage, which I'm I'm sure is true for for a lot, if not um, all of the artists on this contract as well. Was just to try and find um, certain nuances in in how how we use the face as well, and I used it kind of as an experiment to see, okay, what can I find that I usually don't? What are my instincts? How do I fight against some of that in a way that doesn't restrict my expression either? So it was kind of a good workshop setting in a way, each rehearsal, to see how to make certain things smaller, try and make smaller things a little bit more poignant. So I loved listening to the singers introduce themselves and their characters, all those names that I know so well from Alice in Wonderland. My imagination has been running wild thinking about how they will create these characters with stagecraft and also now with what film makes possible. This film will use digital effects. I think green screen, uh, computer CGI. I had to ask Peter about his experience filming the seminal characters of the Cheshire Cat and the Caterpillar and Justin about his role as the White Rabbit. But first, I asked them both about the difference in the rehearsal process for a live show versus film. Yeah, we definitely had to put the trust of our, <laughs> our the musician, our, sorry, conductor, director, the sound technicians and everything in their hands and their capability. Um, a lot of times, you know, if we have multiple uh, performances of one show, you might, let's say the first show, there was a few things you didn't do right. You know, you can do better in the second show or the third show and make it really, really tight and clean. But this one is a situation where everything had to be clean um, right away because it was like basically 
you know, one or two or three shots or takes, and then we have to move on. And you can't really review it for yourself and say, oh, that didn't really work for me, or that didn't, you just have to move, pile on and, and trudge through. So yeah, that was definitely there too. Of just trusting that the product and that will be felt later. Because you went home and you have no idea what you did in some ways. Yeah, literally you're trusting. Like um, even there were some, there were some points of the show. It's like, cause when you're, um, you, you try like Glynis is an amazing eye and I, I trust her with anything I can put forward. Um, um, but it's still that notion of like, you never actually got to see what you look like close up in that moment. And so you're like, did I do that right? Was that exactly what was wanted? Because your face is right in the middle of the, of the screen. Um, but no, the, um, yeah, you just had to trust it. And that was, I think the hardest part was not knowing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, you, you just, uh, yeah, you're trusting your imagination is the same as, as Glynis, yeah. But you have one of the most important, like visible roles in the Alice world, which is the Cheshire Cat is infamous. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, actually when I, uh, when I saw it, I was, or when I uh, um, heard that I had gotten it, I was actually overwhelmingly excited because it's one of my absolute clearest memories of watching Alice in Wonderland as a kid is that, is that scary smile. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty excellent. Yeah. Now I'm just, I'm curious because I've seen very little of the production elements. Are you mm -hmm. someone who will see a lot of green screen CGI kind of effects with because of what the Cheshire Cat is or how does that manifest in the opera, that particular role? Uh, well, the Cheshire Cat, no, not so much. Um, I think it's more more of the uh, caterpillar will be will be played into that just because it's incorporated with the background and the play on the smoke with the hookah and that sort of stuff. <laughs> you have the coolest characters. How yeah. long did you have to sit in a makeup chair for any of these roles? Because this sounds all fairly involved. The uh, the day of shoot for those two particular characters was on the same day, so it ended up being a nine hour day with probably about I would say five and a half or six hours of that was in in the makeup chair one of the biggest aspects uh, that everyone was asking me is like you're playing the white rabbit and you know politically correct that's kind of was like was different and I was actually curious how they were going to pull it off and they really really did they what was really neat with the costume design the uh, makeup artists and everything they incorporated my coloring with the aspect around it of the white rabbit. So it looks, it almost looks like a, a two-tone bunny. It was just kind of cool. It was actually quite neat. So they really made it work rather than just me being completely white or being a white suit or something like that. So that was actually really neat to see. And, you know, I was actually excited because I've been on sets before, um, movie sets and stuff or like background and whatnot, but <laughs> this is the first time where I felt like, okay, we're being in a movie. And I love hearing the aspect of like roll them and all these, you know, trademark things that you hear, you, you know, you, you want to hear uh, from a movie set once in a while. Um, so that was the fun part. The fun part of like, you know, working with people who generally work with film. This has been an incredibly difficult time for artists. In my conversation with them over the last year on the podcast, many have shared with me that not only has this been difficult financially, but there's been a great, a great loss of a sense of who they are because they're not singing. Singing is so much of who they are and how they see themselves in the world.
It probably explains why when the pandemic first began, so many singers took to the internet and shared a cappella concerts of themselves singing in their living rooms. Thinking about this, I wanted to ask these cast members what it meant to come back and sing and work together during this particular moment in time. So what was the best part of your time here? What, what do you take away from it and go, oh, well, that was super satisfying. For me, it was the fact that I was singing after seven months. That, I think, just the sheer fact that uh, Pacific Opera decided to do this project, um, I think that is the most satisfying thing, that, to having that opportunity. Everything else, to me, takes a backseat. And, of course, watching Tracy Doll herself uh, do her thing, uh, you, you really, you really, really can't ask for a, a better experience. So I, to, to be sappy with it, you know, I just, I loved it. it yeah, it, it was a treat and a, a pleasure. Very grateful. One of the pleasures I would say of being an opera singer is that you really get to know your cast when you're on a gig. Like you'll go out to the pub after rehearsal and you'll just become best friends. But because there's all this pandemic stress, none of us were going to the pub. But what we did start doing was having little potlucks or like a few of us would watch a weekly TV show together or, you know, walking to rehearsal together. So it was very different, but I think we were all so happy to get to socialize after so long and feel that we were doing it in a safe way. So in that sense, it was actually really nice after all these months. I think we were grateful for the fact that we weren't there, you know, we're away from home during a pandemic and the fact that we didn't still have to be on our own outside of rehearsal hours, but that we could still, after a rehearsal, get together in someone's uh, hotel room because we were still bubbled and chat and, and socialize was such, at the beginning, it was such a weird experience because, I mean, I live on my own here in Toronto. So all of a sudden to be able to, to spend time with people. And then towards the end of the contract, is when it started hitting me again the last week I was thinking I have three more days of this and then I go back to my my apartment in Toronto on my own this is going to be it, yeah it was it was a whirlwind in the best possible sense I suppose there's been a lot of talk about how we're all in this together that we're going to get through this pandemic together filming your first opera during a pandemic so that artists can work, local crew and craftspeople and staff can work, and so that the public can have that chance to be transported by art. It was a leap of faith by Pacific Opera as we work to get through this crisis together as makers of art. With this in mind, the final words in this podcast go to Asitha and Justin. These are all my questions. Do you have anything else you want to share about the experience or a story that you wanted to tell that I didn't ask you about? I just wanted to say, I, th I, th I mentioned it to a few people on the last day too when we finished work. As artists, we got to come in there, we got to take our masks off and do something that felt very normal. And I'm sure you know as well how much work it takes behind the scenes, especially with stage management, with design and costuming like I every single day I was in awe of how um, how the dressers were wearing a mask wearing the shields and still like trying to see how to like clip this little thing in and it was just 
that we wouldn't have been able to do that and come into a normal situation without the the amount of work that went into not just the regular amount of work that goes into building a show and making sure that we can do what we do but also on top of that the whole all of the regulations making sure everything was um run smoothly so i that's one thing i really want to emphasize is that there's an entire army of people doing an immense amount of work already but already but then having to add the very serious work of making sure everyone's safe on top of that in a pandemic that I I really appreciated a lot because that's easy to forget I mean we're there we're having fun and it's like we're having fun in a pandemic we're having fun doing our thing in a pandemic like that to make that possible that's yeah no one no one's being paid enough to make that a possibility for me I think for me overall it was a really good experience I have to give a really good shout out to the crew, to Erica, to everybody, to Ian, and how they handled. I mean, we're all in this crazy, crazy pandemic craziness trying to figure out rules are changing by the day. Um, you know, we, we had to change halfway through our production, you know, and it's it's really, really hard. I mean, I'm fortunate, as you know, I work at Canada Post, so I'm, I'm okay, um, constantly getting work, which is great. But, you know, I know a lot of my colleagues, you know, they're, they're suffering through these things. That's our podcast for January 8th, 2021. Don't forget to check out the curated playlist on Spotify with a great mix of selections from our artists. Next month, I hope you'll join me on the first Friday of February. You'll have a chance to hear from two members of our Civic Engagement Quartet and a high school music teacher here in Victoria. They're going to talk about the importance of inclusivity and diversity in the world of classical music. Both these singers had the chance to go and speak in a high school music classroom. Well, speak virtually in a classroom. Very pandemic appropriate. And that's our podcast for January 8th, 2021. Don't forget to check out the curated playlist on Spotify with a great mix of selections from our artists. Next month, we'll have a brand new fresh episode for you on the first Friday of February. My name is Rebecca Haas. For the Listening Party Podcast, thank you for listening. Until the next time.